Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 56. I'm your host, Ben Kern. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Uh, we've been on break for a couple of weeks. Um, Mike, due to you, you've been on vacation, slacking off. How are you? I'm well, Ben. I have been slacking off. I left the state of California for the first time since the pandemic began Headed back east with my wife. We visited our families in Massachusetts and New York. Now I'm back. So, you know, I, I guess I'll just start by asking, you know, what did I miss? Has it been relatively quiet around here or what? You know, not too much has been going on. Just, uh, you know, f- almost full-scale war in the Middle East. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, all quiet on the Western Front, as they say. <laughs> you definitely missed a lot. Um, and I think war, in the, war in the Middle East? I mean, that's unheard of. It's kind of old school, really, isn't it? You know, it's like we've been all the pandemic. You know, it was all, we had a quite a, a break from all of that stuff, and you know, you know, everything's back to normal when a there are lots of school shootings and uh, mass murders in America, and b um, uh, the Israelis and Palestinians are are fighting. So um, you know, I guess it kind of marks the end of the official end of the pandemic that we're back on mass shootings and Middle Eastern conflict. Yeah, it is pretty sad. Yeah, so we have a ceasefire in the Israel-Palestine conflict for now. Uh, 232 dead Palestinians and 12 dead Israelis later. Uh, Israel, I believe, destroyed more than 400 residential and commercial units, uh, including a building that housed multiple news organizations, including the Associated Press. Uh, Hamas fired a couple of thousand rockets at, it, at Israel, I believe, you know, I, I want to just pull back on this and just make some general comments about the way we we talk about this conflict and analyze this conflict, at least here in the United States. And part of the problem is, and we do this all the time, we say things like, Israel did this, the United States did that, Japan did something else, and we're using country names as stand-ins for decision-making entities, right? Like actual government officials who are actually making the decision. So yeah, decisions are made by individuals and groups in these countries. And yes, there are often plenty of policy continuities that run right through successive governments in a country, right? Like for example, in the United States, unflinching support or, or at least tacit acceptance of whatever policies Israel's decision makers have decided to implement. That goes back decades. That's same old, same old. But we use country names as shorthand, and sometimes it causes us to not take certain things into consideration when we're looking at a conflict and trying to figure out what's going on here, like, like the one we have right now. And he, here's what I mean. Since this all started, I don't think I have seen a single news report in the United States about this conflict that mentions both of the following about Benjamin Netanyahu. And one is a political reality he's facing, and the other is a legal reality that he is facing personally. The political reality is Israel has had four elections in two years and might soon have a fifth because Netanyahu and his Likud party can't muster a majority in the Knesset, in Israel's parliament. So it keeps having to form coalition governments with other parties, and those governments keep falling apart. 
And then Israel has to have another snap election. So Netanyahu is not politically strong right now. I think I saw one poll from like two months ago that showed him with a 35% approval rating. So that's what's going on for Netanyahu politically. The legal reality he's facing is he is on trial. And I mean that literally. He's been indicted for fraud, for accepting bribes, and for breach of trust. And about a week before Israel started bombing Gaza, this is from the Times of Israel. On the first day of the cross-examination of Ilan Yeshua in Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's graft trial on Tuesday, the former Walla News CEO, quick aside, Walla is, uh, it, news is part of a bigger web portal that is like huge in Israel. It's like the ninth most popular website in the country in terms of traffic. And, and to put that into perspective, the ninth most popular website in the United States is Twitter. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. The, that's this, the magnitude that we're talking about. All right, so getting back to the article. The Walla News CEO told the court that editors were ordered to remove stories from the site about families bereaved in the 2014 Gaza war because the premier, that's Netanyahu, didn't like them. Yeshua, who previously told the court how close associates of Netanyahu were directly involved in shaping the content of the news site to the premier's liking, made the statement by way of explanation for his publicly stated feelings about the prime minister. The article goes on. During his earlier testimony, Yeshua described how he was repeatedly instructed by his bosses and people close to Netanyahu to skew the news site, Israel's second largest, toward uh, positive coverage of the premier and criticism of his rivals, and said he believed those instructions were part of a trade-off deal between Netanyahu and the site's owners. Yeshua also detailed how he was asked as part of an effort to cover up the alleged quid pro quo deal. The testimony was heard despite efforts by Netanyahu's uh, lawyers to disqualify parts of it. Last excerpt from this article. Speaking of the bereaved families of the soldiers killed in the 2014 Gaza war. The family of Hadar Golden, an IDF soldier whose remains have been held by the Hamas terrorist group in Gaza since the 2016 war, issued an angry response after the testimony, saying it explained what they described as institutional silence in the face of their fight to return their son. Quote, for years we have been yelling about the institutional silence Directed from above when it comes to returning Hadar Golden, to what depths of the abyss can our leadership, i.e. Netanyahu, sink? Shame and disgrace, the family said. So that's what Netanyahu's up against. And I don't know what goes through his mind when he does the things that he does. I don't know what motivates him exactly. I'm not in his brain. But I don't understand how you can't at least take his legal problems into consideration, as well as the political one I mentioned, where he has struggled to keep together a governing coalition. Right. I mean, you know, look, this is Netanyahu is essentially Trump plus intelligence, right? Um, and I think he's probably one of the scariest politicians in in modern history. The guy is. I mean, I, you know, from what I've read, he's clearly, clearly corrupt. Um, he's also a psychopath, uh, a bully um, and a brilliant politician. He really is. I mean, the guy has survived. Uh, he, I, I could not tell you any other 
no other politician comes to mind in a democratic country who survived so many scandals, right? Um, and got himself re-elected over and over and over again and managed to hold on to coalitions. But if you look through history, what Netanyahu specializes in is using um, <clears throat> Israel's uh, threat, the threats that Israel faces, right, as, as a kind of a a tool by which he survives politically, right? And like, like you say, look, you can't, you know, you can't always, it's not, you can't say, well, he invaded Gaza because of this or he he fought Hamas because of that, because specifically because of that. But it's a pretty well-worn tactic that politicians use when they survive, when their popularity is low, uh, when they're struggling politically, there's nothing like getting in a good war um, to boost those popularity ratings, Right. I mean, it's, it's how Margaret Thatcher uh, famously um, uh, invaded the Falklands because um, because of, because of the the her her political situation in the UK, which was extremely precarious. The economy was falling off a cliff. She was deeply unpopular. She decides to pick a fight with Argentina uh, and all of a sudden she's a war hero. So, yeah. So, look, like I think, you know, clearly that has gone into Netanyahu's calculations um, and the way that it's reported in the US is is just there's no there's never any historic context it's always poor Israel look at Israel as being targeted by the Palestinians targeted by the the threatening Arab neighbors it just wants to defend itself and this is just like that narrative is not true Israel is an occupying it's a colonizing force now Right. It occupies under international law. It occupies Palestinian territory. Right. It's when Palestinians attempt to defend themselves and attempt to, you know, you know get back their land that has been that has been stolen from them. They are portrayed as being terrorists. And it's unquestioning in the United States. It's not the case in the rest of the world. The rest of the world sees it very clearly that Israel is an occupying force. Um, I mean, I think you couldn't even use the word occupation in the US press for, I still think there's, it's kind of um, self-censorship really, when you're not allowed to refer to Israel as an occupying force, right? They're not occupied, they're the contested um, territories, not occupied territories. So, you know, look, this latest uh, latest conflicts, you know, what happened, who did what first, I, you know, it's like um, he said, she said, but essentially, you have to look at this as if once you understand that Israel is an occupying force <clears throat> and the Palestinians are basically engaging in a fight, in a battle for their very survival, I think, you know, the conflict looks quite different. Um, nevertheless, you know, disproportionate, massively disproportionate, massively disproportionate use of force, the number of dead. And, and again, this is kind of a, a Netanyahu speciality is, is going overkill. The U.S. response is predictably predictable and disappointing. Um, failed to criticise Israel publicly, um, but I do understand that behind the scenes, Biden took a very different tone with Netanyahu. I mean, he's known um, Netanyahu for decades and, and um, has had to deal with his shenanigans for a long time. So I think Biden does uh, have, um, you know, some. Uh, you know, he's very, very experienced in, in dealing with the far, the right wing in Israel. So, you know, he worked behind the scenes, uh, did secure a ceasefire, um, you know, still lots of dead Palestinians uh, that could have been avoided. I do hope one day the United States will come out and condemn Israel for its behavior and, uh, you know, stop giving them carb 
carte blanche to go out and um, you know murder their neighbours. I think it's really sad. I think that the public has the public views on this has changed over time. Um, Democrat the, the Democratic Party is far more sympathetic to the Palestinians than they ever have been. Uh, I think the pro the pro Israel voices in the Democratic Party are not quite as strong as they once were. If you look at the Republican Party, I mean they're all in they're they're insane anyway. So they 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 love to use this as a sort of um, as something to to batter the Democrats with, you know. And that's what one of the reasons why Israel gets so much cover is because of a the Republican Party giving the Republican Party and b there is you know and I say this as a as a as someone. Um, of Jewish heritage, right? There, it is. There is an incredibly powerful Jewish lobby in the United States that makes it untenable for prominent politicians to come out and criticise Israel, um, and that's that's really bad. Uh, there are other Jewish organisations that are working to prevent that, uh, working to have a much more balanced approach. But you know, APAC. Um, are, it's a pretty insidious organization and they have a lot of influence. And that's one of the Netanyahu as well is incredibly influential in um, in the US because he obviously he has an American accent. Uh, he knows the US culture extremely well. He knows how to ally himself with both the left and the right. You know, so we're stuck in this terrible situation where the Israelis can essentially do what they want and all funded by um, US taxpayers as well. We send them hundreds of million dollars worth of weapons every year so and aid so it's yeah it's it's a pretty it's a pretty um depressing situation and um uh, you know how long have we been dealing with this and there's absolutely no prospect of of peace right now i mean it looks absolutely hopeless you mentioned you know the refrain about israel having a right to defend itself why doesn't that apply to palestine like do palestinians who like you mentioned, are under occupation in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Do they have a right to defend themselves? I mean, they are getting kicked off their land in many cases by Israeli settlers. If you're getting evicted from your home that has been part of your family for generations, and, and the, the courts in Israel have deemed this legal, what recourse do you have? At that point. But by the way, before we move on, we should take a minute and thank religion for making this all possible. Uh, certainly, you don't need religion for people to kill each other over land, but it helps. When, yeah, it helps. But when both sides think God wants them to have a piece of land, that dynamic makes it all the more difficult to come to any kind of compromise. So, big thanks to the Abrahamic religions out there for literally doing the Lord's work here. And there's a, there's a, there's a, we don't have to get into this, but you know, we'd be remiss if we j briefly didn't mention the the evangelical element. All this in, in all of this, the hard Christian right here in the United States is very aligned with the hard Orthodox Jewish right in 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 Israel in terms of what they want achieved. Which, by the way, for very different reasons. For very yeah. different reasons. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Netanyahu, he needs the right in Israel. He needs the hard right if he wants any chance of cobbling together and keeping uh, a coalition and hanging on to power. Mm. All right. Yeah. So the evangelicals want <laughs> the evangelicals want Israel in place. So that's what needs to happen before end times. <laughs> right. 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 That's 
Armageddon and then all the Jews, except for I think 144,000 of them, according to the book of Revelation, all of the Jews go to hell. And one question I would love to see asked in a debate to, uh, to one of these Bible thumpers like Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio is given that you've said Jesus died for our sins and that he's the only path to salvation, do you believe that when they die, Jews who haven't accepted Jesus go to hell? And if so, do you think they deserve it? I would love to see some ballsy debate moderator ask Ted Cruz that fucking question. What about you? I would pay to see that. I mean, one of the, you know, not to go on about this topic too long, but um, one of the interesting things is uh, I've had conversations with with right-wing evangelical Christians before about this Israel stuff, and they, um, you know, uh, invariably know absolutely nothing about Israel or the Palestinians um, other than what they've been fed through Fox News. So it's quite interesting when I bring, I always make sure to bring up the fact that there is a significant Christian Palestinian population who are caught up in this all of this stuff and having their houses taken away from them and persecuted by, you know, in the IDF and um, uh, Israeli political system, and it's like they've seen a ghost. You know, it, it kind of it warps their their worldview so badly because they can't imagine brown people being christian you know so it's like a it's like an injury i i you know if you're ever speaking to a right-wing evangelical about that about israel bring that up i i highly suggest it and see what their reaction is it's pretty funny yeah they're not gonna know no they don't like never they, they they never know all right what's next so anyway in other news other more positive news i would call this um there was a uh, remarks from President Obama about Donald Trump have now been um, reported by the Atlantic journalist Edward Isaac Devere, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic, who is uh, who's written a book called The Battle for the Soul Inside the Democrats' Campaigns to Defeat Donald Trump. So uh, the Guardian obtained a copy of this book that's that's, about, that's going to be published next week, and um, there are some very juicy comments from Obama about uh, Donald Trump. So I'll just read an excerpt from the Guardian piece thus far. So according to the book, Obama called Trump a madman, a racist, sexist pig, that fucking lunatic, and a corrupt motherfucker. So this was all behind the scenes. Um, this is to advisors and donors, and apparently Obama was extremely um, incensed about Trump, as you one would imagine a normal human being would be. Um, but these have now <laughs> this has now come out. Obama has not denied uh, has not denied any of this, so of course we um, we can uh, we can pretty much be certain that this is true. This comes from Devere, is an extremely credible journalist. Um, so the book is apparently full of all sorts of uh, juicy gossip. That um, uh, here's another extract. This is not related to Trump. Extracts of Devere's kind of reporting have been published elsewhere, including a passage in which the now First Lady Jill Biden is quoted as saying, "Now, now Vice President Kamala Harris should go fuck herself after a memorable debate stage attack on Joe Biden early in the primary." But 
I think it's the the quotes about Donald Trump that um, I think are absolutely hilarious. Um, he's a madman, Dovir reports. Obama telling big donors looking to squeeze a reaction out of him in exchange for the big checks they were writing to his foundation. More often, this is a quote, more often I didn't think it would be this bad. Sometimes I didn't think we'd have a racist, sexist pig. Depending on the outrage of the day, a passing that fucking lunatic with a shake of his head. <laughs> Obama's strongest remark, to the reports, was prompted by reports that Trump was speaking to foreign leaders, including Vladimir Putin, amid the investigation of Russian election interference and links between Trump and Moscow without any aids on the call. That corrupt motherfucker, he remarked. You know, it's a good thing this came out because I would not have known all of these things about Donald Trump, to be frank. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, Obama, given all the shit that Trump said about Obama, I guess you'd have to put the birther shit at the top. Obama would have been well within his rights to say all of this stuff in public. Because Trump, I mean, Trump just he made up lies about it. He accused him of uh, tapping his wires at Trump Tower. Said he wasn't suggested he wasn't born here. Like just all kinds of terrible shit. He would have been completely justified in in saying all of that publicly. But uh, of course, it is beneath the dignity of the office of the president of the United States. Yeah, I think, you know, Trump has sort of blown that up now. So mm-hmm. I, I hope that, you know, candidates now on can kind of say what they think. Um, it would also be nice. I understand why Obama was always extremely careful about what he said in public. Um, being an African-American, um, being a, a black man in America, you have to be extremely careful with your language and how you speak for want of being, you know, to, to avoid being seen as an angry black man, which is... Um, you know, uh, uh, quite a precarious position to be in if you're in America. At least you're not going to get accepted by uh, the mainstream. I mean, people think that Michelle Obama is too angry, right? This is the, the I don't understand how you could ever perceive Michelle Obama to be an angry woman, right? She's clearly not. Right? She's clearly a, a, an incredibly intelligent, articulate, thoughtful, compassionate, emotionally um, mature um Woman who, uh, you know, deserves nothing but respect and admiration. Yet, in the uh, the Republicans, in the, the right wing media, portrays her as this kind of angry black woman, which is just crazy, you know. So, I, I get why Obama was always very, very careful and cautious about what he said publicly. You know, I'm all, I'm still amazed. I'm all, still amazed that Obama managed to get himself elected in America, knowing now what, what I know about. The United States, and this is the country that could elect Donald Trump, right? A, a country that elected Obama can also elect Donald Trump. So that kind of shows you the the racist underbelly of of, of this country, uh, you know. So I'm always amazed that he got him, that he got elected, um, and I do understand why he kept large, pretty quiet about Trump uh, until you know well into the swing of the election in in 2020. Uh, but nevertheless, it's great to hear what Obama really thinks about Trump. You know, we always knew that he knew that, right? He, that he thought that, that he must have been sick to his stomach, that this raving lunatic was um, uh, taking over, was going to undo everything he'd done, spent eight years building. I wonder if Republicans could get away with that if uh, Wayne Brady decided to run 
for office and they try to portray him as an angry placard. <laughs> Remember that old Chappelle show skit? <laughs> White people love Wayne Brady because he makes Brian Gumble look like Malcolm X. <laughs> Uh, rest in peace, by the way, to Paul Mooney, who delivered that line, who, uh, he died this week. Um, 79, uh, man, he was, a he was legendary. He was, he was so funny on that show. Um, all right. Um, what, uh, crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Ben, you stole my selection, but... Please, uh, yeah, you, you have the floor. No hard feelings. One, yeah, this one, um, this, this was a pretty, <laughs> this one uh, was uh, a pretty, a pretty, pretty easy one to pick. Oh, it'll carry on as long as she can get away with it. You know, Nancy Pelosi, I named her from day one, the queen of the house of hypocrites. And that's exactly what she is. You know, there's a video just out now of her enjoying herself mask-free at the White House because now President Biden at the White House has flip-flopped because he flip-flops all over the place and doesn't know what's going on. But Nancy Pelosi is enjoying herself mask-free at the White House while she's running a tyrannical, oppressive workplace here at the House of Representatives, forcing us to wear masks against, uh, you know, abusing our our individual freedoms, uh, demanding that members of Congress get the COVID vaccine, which is still not approved by the FDA, by the way. And um, and you can't even demand to know people's um, private medical records. So our vaccine history is none of her business. As a matter of fact, it's a violation of our HIPAA rights for her to demand to know. Um, but this is classic form and fashion of Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't believe in a government for the people. She believes in a tyrannical socialist or maybe even communist government. And Congresswoman, I've got to play you this. It's about 20 seconds or so. This is Nancy Pelosi today literally talking about this idea. Staff people here, a system as to whether where people were is out of control, Congresswoman. This woman is mentally ill. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second-class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Yeah, on the HIPAA violation, Nancy Pelosi cannot violate HIPAA, which is a patient privacy law in the United States. Only medical providers can violate HIPAA. And they do so when they release a patient's private medical information uh, without the patient's permission. I mean, where do you even begin with this? Where do you even begin with the levels of stupidity? I mean, this is, you actually see a lot of this stuff in, in the kind of um, QAnon conspiracy, new age wellness um, communities as well. This notion that public health measures are some sort of, it's like persecuting minorities, right? Whether the uh, you know, yoga instructors and wellness gurus are all claiming that they're being targeted and persecuted by by the deep state or whatever it is um, that are basically treating them like second-class citizens, aka Jews who were rounded up and gassed to death for being Jewish, which is, I mean... The sort of, again, as somebody of Jewish heritage, I cannot begin to, to explain how offensive this is. It's so fucking offensive. It's, it's unbelievable. But 
you know, look, this is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a complete nut job. She's a very, very, very dim woman, you know. So I, I obviously don't, you know, I, it, it's, we only talk about her because she's actually a member of Congress, right? The fact is that, that if she wasn't a member of Congress, um, she'd just be some other deranged QAnon conspiracy nut job but she isn't so we sort of have to talk about her we have to actually she is a republican she is an elected member of congress um which is pretty scary uh, and she is actually relevant so yeah i she is she is insane uh, last week she tried to she she went after to uh, alexandria Ocasio cortez to she wanted to debate aoc AOC, right? You know, very uh, thankfully, just completely ignored her and walked away. Which is, which is what you should do with somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene. She should not be, she should not be talked to. She should not be um, taken seriously. Um, she should not be um, shown, you know, a- any sort of respect at all. She's a she's a lunatic and should be treated as such. Um, you know, again, unfortunately, we do. We actually we have to pay attention to her, of course, because she because she is a, a an elected politician. But yeah, this just goes to show you how insane the Republican Party is now. That this is this is your this is who they are now. This is what the Republican Party is: is Marjorie Taylor fucking Green, who thinks that being asked to wear a mask is akin to being rounded up by the Germans and hauled off to the gas chambers. Later in the interview, by the way, she talks about AOC and she says that she is, quote, completely disconnected from reality, says that she's, quote, unwell and, quote, maybe just not that intelligent. Wow. The chutzpah. All right. My turn. What what do you got? What do you got, Mike? Well, wasn't as good as yours, which was going to be mine, but. Whatever. Uh, this is uh, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, a.k.a. q Ron, a.k.a. Ron-Anon. Um, he, you know, up until fairly recently, maybe a year ago, two years ago, I, I, I hadn't been paying that much attention. It, he's just, you know, you're... Average, bland, spare tire, tomato can, Midwestern Republican senator. You didn't hear much from him. You didn't want to hear much from him. But he has really made a name for himself as being one of the most ardent defenders of Trump in the Senate. And he's not sure if he's going to run again. But if he does, uh, you know, he, he has gone well beyond, I think, uh, he's gone above and beyond, I think, the call of duty when it comes to fending off any potential uh, primary challengers who can claim that they're Trumpier than he. But so he was on uh, Laura Ingram's show uh, this week, uh, or last week, I guess. It's Sunday. Um, and he once again talked about the events of uh, January 6th. He said, the fact of the matter is, even calling it an insurrection, it wasn't. Okay, quick aside, the definition of an insurrection is a violent uprising against an authority or government. Now, to me, I think that qualifies. Anyway, continuing. I condemn the breach. I condemn the violence. But to say there were thousands of armed insurrectionists breaching the Capitol intent on overthrowing the government is just simply 
a false narrative. I was vilified for entering into the record a 14-page eyewitness account of a very knowledgeable observer that really laid out exactly what happened. He goes on to say, by and large, it was peaceful protests, except for there were a number of people, basically agitators, that whipped up the crowd. Huh. I wonder who whipped up the crowd, Ron. He says it whipped up the crowd and breached the Capitol, and that's really the truth of what's happening here. But they like to paint that narrative so they can paint a broad brush and basically impugn 75 million Americans, call them potentially domestic terrorists and potential armed insurrectionists as well, end quote. By quick side note, I like how Donald Trump rounded up his 74,200,000 vote total in the election and every other Republican has just followed suit. So we, we're, they're now rounding up to 75 million. Just to, like that's how like <laughs> like th- that's the level of fealty that we're dealing with. Like, like Johnson is not alone here. It's now officially 75 million, even though it, like what the fuck does it matter? 74 million, 75 million. No, they're, they're going to round up. They're going to follow Trump and round up to that number. But I mean, look, it was. They were armed with clubs. They had pepper spray. They had baseball bats. They had flagpoles. They had a fire extinguisher that they took. They injured like scores of police officers. Mm. Like they're on they're on camera beating police officers, ripping off police officers' gas gas mask. Okay, and the next day, one of them died of a stroke. Who was like forty years old. Now, is there a direct connection between the insurrection and the death of a relatively young police officer the next day? I don't know if they can prove that, but it's quite the coincidence that a young guy who was pepper sprayed or bear sprayed or whatever, within 24 hours of that happening, dies of a stroke. And then you had another two, two other Capitol police officers who responded who, and who were there that day, committed suicide in the following weeks. And, and so three cops who responded to this insurrection were dead within a few weeks, in addition to the, the four fucking insurrectionists who, dies, who died. Who cares about them? But, yeah, like this is, this, is, this is Ron Johnson just trying to, like, whitewash history and downplay it. And, you know, just because they didn't have assault rifles and uh, – like hand grenades and bazookas. The fact of the matter is they stormed the Capitol because Trump whipped them up into a frenzy earlier that day at a rally, and they tried to overturn the results of the election so that Donald Trump could unlawfully serve a second term. That is a fucking insurrection. And by the way, so the House passed uh, legislation authorizing the creation of a bipartisan independent commission last week to investigate this, right? And now it's going to the Senate, and it looks like it is dead on arrival in the Senate because they don't want a 9-11-style commission to look into the attempted overthrow of the United States government. So the Democrats are going to have to – if they want to investigate this, if they want an official like federal – congressional record they're going to have to do it they're going to have to wield their gavels and wield their subpoena powers in the committees in the house and the senate 
And who knows how long they're going to control those committees because we've got an election in a year and a half. So do it quickly. Yeah. So, well, do it quickly, do it right. But, you know, people are saying, well, maybe it, you know, maybe you can get 10 senators to break a filibuster, 10 GOP senators to break a filibuster. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, especially now that McConnell has come out against it. And uh, who they tried to kill, who they tried to kill him. Oh, Oh, yeah. You know what I like about that? The House vote, Greg Pence, Mike Pence's brother of hang Mike Pence fame which is what the insurrectionists were chanting. He voted against authorizing the commission. <laughs> and it's, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, what's his defense for this? Oh, hey, look, they said hang Mike Pence, <laughs> not hang Greg Pence. So that's, that's fine by me. Just wild stuff. Although, you know what? I bet you this. If you, if you ask Mike Pence what he thinks about a, a, a 9-11 style commission to investigate the Capitol insurrection, he'd probably be against it too. That's the, that's the, the level of cult-like behavior that we're dealing with here. The, yeah, it's the, the cowardice and the sort of devotion to these madmen, right? And, and the, you know, Ted Cruz, you know, for example, is a guy that I always hold, hold up as the kind of this is the sort of benchmark really for cowardice. You know, he, this guy is like Donald Trump literally called his wife ugly, right? He, he, um, or he insinuated that Ted Cruz's wife was ugly by posting, by tweeting something, comparing Melania Trump to, uh, uh, Heidi Cruz. And yet he went, he, now he's out there shilling for Donald Trump, right? He got on. And, it, don't forget, he suggested that his father was involved in the assassination of JFK. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, these are kind of like, as a human being, like they, they, those kind of insults, this is unforgivable. But not for Ted Cruz, who has no shame whatsoever. He has absolutely zero shame. But none of, none of them do. They're all kind, they're all kind of weasels and, and spineless twerps who will... I, they're following this guy down it, it, to a road to oblivion. I mean, he, he, Trump is a, a loser. He's a complete and utter loser. He has lost, he's lost the popular vote twice. He lost, he lost the general election. He lost the Senate. He lost the House. He lost governorship races all across the country. The guy is a disaster for the Republican Party. And yet they still follow him. And yet they still kiss the ring. They still bow to the, bow to the, to the Orange King. I mean, it's, it's really sad to watch this play out. You know? And it's not getting better. It's getting worse, which is, the worst, which is even crazier. The fact that this guy is gone and out of office and he's sitting in Mar-a-Lago penning um, letters about a Boeing 73. Did you see that? He released a statement from the office of Donald Trump about people who've been asking about a Boeing 737. I don't know who's been asking about this, but it's clear the guy's bored and has nothing to do. You know, he's, he's essentially a kind of, um, I mean, he has no platform. He's not influencing anybody at the moment other than the, other than the GOP. That, ha- that ha- they ha- they have to make these kind of pilgrimages down to down to Mar-a-Lago to be blessed by blessed by the uh, the MAGA leader himself. Right. It's it's right. just absolutely it's mind blowing and well, sad. Did, did you see? It, you talk about the Boeing seven forty seven. Did you see his other update from earlier last week? This is 
This is the most mundane shit I've ever seen in terms of like announcements from former presidents. Quote, a loan of $1.2 billion has closed on the asset known as the Bank of America building, 555 California Street in San Francisco, California. The interest rate is approximately 2%. Thank you, exclamation mark. And it's like, what the fuck? Why, Why is this news? First of all, he seems to be implying that he's gotten a mortgage <laughs> for, for the Bank of America building in San Francisco, right? Not the Trump organization has been given a loan. They just use this passive voice like this loan could be to anybody. Like it could have been given to fucking, I don't know, Mark Benioff, you know, who's who's big out here in San Francisco and likes to put his name on buildings. But And who the fuck is going to give Donald Trump a 2% interest rate? on a loan of a massive building in one of the most, maybe the most expensive city in terms of real estate. Uh, you know what I think this means, man? I think I got to drive over to San Francisco and check it out. I, 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 I yeah, was he going to build a hotel? I mean, he did this in D.C., right? He, he, he built a Trump hotel in D.C. Uh, that has, it's, you know, that apparently it's not doing well, right? They can't get bookings. At all, so they're 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 in you know serious trouble. Why he would want to go and do that in San Francisco again? Maybe is he opening a hotel? I mean, who's going to want to stay at the Trump Hotel in San Francisco? Who's giving him this money? Like, if in fact he has gotten, who is giving him money? Because like, no bank will lend to him. I don't know if Deutsche Bank is still lending to him. No, they, they, no, they, no, they, they, no. They're, oh, they're, you're right, 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 right. They're done. So who? I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue as to where this, where these banks might exist. The the country uh, uh, has a has a leader uh, whose um, first name begins with the letter V, and uh, <laughs> I'll leave uh, it there. Uh, uh, wait, let me guess. Is it uh, Volodymyr Zelensky of yeah, Ukraine? That's, is that yeah, it? That, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. Right. <laughs> I mean, look. Yeah, who knows what Trump's new business plan is going to be like? But I'll, whatever this guy touches turns to turns to shit. Literally everything he does turns to shit. His presidency turns to shit. Um, his 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 uh, you know his life as a reality TV star that's gone to shit. Uh, his real estate ventures have gone to shit. His golf courses are going down the toilet. Whatever this guy touches dies. So whoever's lent him this money, good luck seeing it again. Yeah, good luck ever seeing it again. Again, th- that's assuming like this, <laughs> he even got this loan, which it's not clear from this statement. By the way, one last thought on Ted Cruz. Everything you need to know about that guy, and he is a spineless weasel, and he is purely transactional. When he went to Cancun in the midst of those massive storms in Texas and the grid going down and, and people dying and going without water and electricity, and Ted Cruz went to Cancun and saw the error of his ways, meaning he saw how it was playing politically, and he comes back and he blames his daughters. He he says, it was my daughter's idea, and I was trying to be a good dad. But now I see that I shouldn't have done that. It's like, dude, why just come out and say, yep, I made a mistake. But nope, got to say, A, it was my daughter's fault, and, and B, really, I was just trying to be a good dad. So the guy is a scumbag. Oh, Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. Republicans, a House Republicans booted her out of the leadership. Uh, she was the number three Republican in the House. She was the chair of the conference uh, because B, 
basically she keeps uh, calling out Trump on his lies about the 2020 election. And Kevin McCarthy has said that we we need to move on from that, but he should tell that to the de facto leader of his fucking party who won't shut the fuck up about it, who keeps whining up. He keeps Trump keeps showing up at weddings in Mar-a-Lago to give speeches about how the election was stolen from him. So that's what Cheney's been calling out. And they booted her. They booted her from the conference in a vote uh, and replaced her with Elise Stefanik of upstate New York, who has really uh, embraced Trumpism uh, in the last year or two, I guess. She was not particularly Trumpy when she first arrived in Congress a few years ago. She's relatively young. She's in her, I think she's like 36. And I think she realizes you know, I think it, she's saying if she wants, you know, she has ambitions. She went to Harvard. She's a smart woman, uh, but apparently is just devoid of any principles and, and or, or devoid of the sort of principles that would prevent her from embracing Trumpism. And, and the fact is, she's not even that conservative. Like you look at some of these organizations that, you know, score members of Congress on how conservative they are. She's not great. I think she had like a 48% rating or something like that, while Cheney had like a rating in the 70s or 80s. But it just goes to show it doesn't matter what ideas you have about politics and policy. What matters is that you accept Trump as the leader and you get in line behind him and you agree with the things that he agrees with and you, you, and you repeat the things that he says. Right. I mean, you know... I wrote a piece about this last week for for Banter members about the neocons, about whether it's time to reassess the neocons. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. You know what? Liz Cheney's behavior, Liz Cheney's actions over the past few months have been, you know what? I'm going to give her credit, right? I despise the neocons in particular for what they did during, you know, for the Iraq war, war in Afghanistan, um, you know, the entire Bush administration was packed full of these psychopaths. Um, but they have proved to be fairly useful allies um, when it comes to fighting Trumpism. I think that they recognize, like Liz Cheney, she clearly understands that there is a huge threat to the democratic system, right? That she would not exist if if the Trump people get their way that's the end of US democracy. That's the end of two-party political system, right? It's like we really are quite close to, um, you know, we're in the danger zone. We're still in the danger zone. There was an insurrection, right? This is a dangerous fascist movement. And the neocons appear to understand this. And Liz Cheney appears to, to understand this. I disagree with Liz Cheney on everything, literally everything other than this. And But I'm going to give her credit. I'm going to give her credit for this. I think that she's doing the right thing. I think that what she's doing is is quite brave. She's sacrificing her political career. Um, she's taking a stand. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say I like her. I'm going to go as far as to say that I respect her. And I also am begrudgingly beginning to respect a lot of the neocons as well. And a lot of these neocons have um, spoken out against Trump from, from the beginning. Um, and, you know, look, once this is all over, once the fascist threat has been um, dismantled and thrown into the trash heap of history. We can get back to hating on neocons, but for now, you know what? Um, Liz Cheney uh, is, is, is a welcome ally in the fight against Trumpism. Yeah, I'll give 
Liz Cheney credit for this, like I'd give credit to a wealthy landowner in the antebellum South who doesn't own slaves. Right? On one hand, it's like, wow, it's cool that you're not following everyone else's lead and you're not owning slaves. On the other hand, you shouldn't own slaves. So like, yeah, it's, it's, I give her credit for resisting and standing up to the political pressure among her group, right. To get on the Trump train. Cause that's a hard thing to do to break out of that group thing. So yes, to that extent, I'll give her credit. But at the end of the day, this stuff is objectively insane anyway, and you shouldn't be subscribing to it. Right. I mean, it is the sort of bare minimum, right? It's the kind of bare minimum you expect from anybody it would be to reject Trumpism, right? Which is why I think there's been so much anger towards Republicans who've got on board with this guy. Uh, because you just think like, you know, can you not, do you not understand what this is? I mean, you must understand what this is. This is what I could never understand, um, early on with these Republicans lining up behind Trump and just thinking like, do you not know where this goes? This, this ends badly for fucking everybody, you as well. Right. So do the right thing and come out against this guy, you know, a a left wing version of Donald Trump. I would oppose with absolutely every fiber of my being. I, I, if you had a guy with anti-democratic tendencies who was on the left, I think he should be as, as, as militantly opposed as, as if he were on the right. You know, um, despotism is not, you know, the democratic systems don't survive these things. They can be torn. They can. Democracy is, is a very, very fragile thing. Right. And it has to be fought tooth and nail to keep. And we barely survive. We barely survive Trumpism. Literally very, very, very lucky to get to get out of this one. And we're not out of the woods. Still, we're still not out of the woods. You know, so I, I think, uh, you know, it is a bare minimum. But, you know, look. Credit credit to to Liz Cheney. Um, I'll, I'll give it to her. You know she's done a she's do, she's she's doing the right thing. Just be ready to throw these neocons the fuck overboard the second this threat has passed. Oh yeah 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 of course of course of course they're 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 in many ways more dangerous. They're, they're well not more dangerous. They're dangerous in a different way, but still they're still they're still very dangerous. You know, it's like that one of the 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 worst two choices I think like if someone held a gun to your head and said right you can vote for Donald Trump or Dick Cheney I think we've maybe covered this on the podcast right like what would you who would you choose don't put that choice to me again yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it yeah worst choice ever anyway well listen thank you everybody for listening we appreciate you uh, we've got some comments asking us about where the podcast was I'd just like to reiterate that it was Mike uh, it was off lazing around um, in uh, on on vacation. That's why we were here last last week. So uh, apologies for that, Mike. Just throwing you under the bus. I'm very uh, sorry for taking some time off to see my family for the first time in a year and a half. Yeah, very, m- many apologies. Inexcusable. Unexcusable. Sorry. Unexcusable. I've heard. There you one. go. um but yeah so thank you everybody for listening um if you love the banter and you would like to support us that would be great please do so by becoming a paid member you get access to all our premium content um in-depth articles and discussion threads that's um you can click the orange button on the newsletter and you'll get a two-month free trial so please do that that would be great um like us and subscribe on itunes and on spotify where they're now 
So you can listen to uh, the Banter podcast um, on multiple different platforms. Um, so we'll provide the links there in the newsletter as well. And yeah, we'll see you next week.